Comics Action Show is created by Jupiter Broadcasting. It's sponsored by Ting. Go to last.ting.com to save off your first device or plan. And DigitalOcean. Go to digitalocean.com and use the promo code Here's the Thing, all one word like you're slurring it, and spin up your own Linux rig for free. And Linux Academy. Go to linuxacademy.com slash unplugged and invest in your mind while saving some money. Welcome to the Linux Action Show, episode 434. My name is Chris. My name is Noah. Hey there, Noah. Good morning to you. Guess what? We got a great show today. Coming up, it's finally here. Elementary OS's latest and greatest Loki release has landed, and we'll give you our review and some technical details behind the OS of how they put it all together. A fascinating look. And then in the news segment, we're going to talk about Let's Encrypt's big news. Our friends at Solus also have something interesting to tell us. And then there's a rat on the loose that's affecting Linux servers. We'll give you the details on that. It's kind of an interesting story, at least. We've got feedback, but before all of that, no, you know what else we've got? We've got the picks. How did you know? How well, did you know? Because we have the pick because every week, right after you say all that, yeah. then we have the picks. Oh. Well, and it's also, it's my favorite part of the show. I, I, uh, I'm gl really glad then that I just happened to throw a, f a few things together because I caught this great runs Linux pick. I don't know if you've seen this because you, you probably have like a, maybe some hotels Downtown Seattle, big apartment buildings have this. Uh, campuses and colleges are starting to get these. They are the Amazon locker campus-like uh, receiving oh, yeah, thing. Yeah. What do you, I don't yeah. know what they call it. Uh -huh. I think it's called Amazon Locker, Amazon actually. Amazon Locker, yep. Yeah, yep. okay, in Amazon fact, Locker. I, I needed a backpack when I was in when I was at DEF CON, and I was this close because I found an Amazon Locker downtown Las Vegas. It was this close to ordering, uh, priming myself a backpack to one of these lockers and picking yep. it up. Yep, yep, yeah. And uh, the, it's a big feature in, uh, in 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 large apartments right now. It's uh, you know one of the one of the features they offer in the lobby is the Amazon Locker, and so uh, it was a Lane who got a capture of it. He's at uh, Georgia Tech, and they just installed one of these there. And uh, he walked up to one of the displays and noticed something familiar. If you look closely, Noah, it's a Firefox. Maybe I can do a little zoom and enhance. There we go. It's Firefox running look like a kiosk web app and a SUSE start menu like logo down in the bottom left corner nice. there. Yeah. So it's definitely a, definitely a legit runs, runs Linux spotting. And Elaine sent those in there. And this is pretty cool because I've seen a lot of these lockers going in downtown. And it's neat to know that the displays around them are Linux-powered. And the thing about that is it's a pretty standard kit setup. Even the wall and, like, the kiosk itself looks exactly like they do in Seattle. It's, 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 a, it's the spitting image of it. And so it's like a kit that they have that they put together, and they it's all pre-assembled, and they can load it up. And I think they have slightly different looks for different locations. And these mm -hmm. screens that they install go back to PCs. I've seen the PCs. I just had no idea they're running Linux. So sure. pretty neat. And thanks to Lane for sending that to me at, at Chris LAS. I've seen also, like, when traveling, uh, like, different, you know, big displays that all, will have Windows errors. I just got tweeted one this week, big Windows error up on there. You ever you ever catch any Linux in the wild when traveling that you haven't talked about on the show? You ever seen, like, a like a flight information uh, board? Or? Yeah, I, I, actually, I see it on the on the seatbacks in Delta Airlines. All the, the time. The Delta Inter Inter Entertainment System. The uh, it, It's running, like, a super old version, like, kernel yeah. 2 dot something or whatever. <laughs> and, and when they turn the plane on, when they, when they sh you yeah. know, so they have the AP, they're, they're running off of air power. Shut that off, they start the APU up, then they then they turn the infotainment system on, and when the IFS comes on, then it, it you can see that kernel loading or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, oh, Red Hat. That's one one of the most common runs Linux submissions we get into the show is actually that particular. Oh, you really? Yeah, yeah, it's the it's the runs Linux on the airplane seats, and it's a great one. You see, it. it's like, oh, yeah, that's 
Pretty perfect. You know, if you want to run Linux and you want to run on a powerful server that's under your control, check out DigitalOcean. Use our promo code, here's the thing. It's one word, lowercase. You just smash it together like you're inebriated and you're just slurring it. Here's the thing. Over at DigitalOcean, you get a $10 credit and you can spin up a rig. Now, DigitalOcean gives you $5 droplets, for $5 a month for the entire month. They also offer hourly pricing. If you want to break it down to like $0.03 cents an hour, you put that promo code and you get the $10 credit. And then you can really cook with some gas. You could grill with some gas, as Noah says. DigitalOcean is a simple cloud hosting provider dedicated to offering the most intuitive and easy way for you to spin up a totally badass server on their killer infrastructure. They're all SSD. They have a lightning-fast network. They have a simple API that's very straightforward, tons of open source code already written. You can deploy in seconds. And they have highly available block storage up to, up to 16 terabytes that you can attach to your droplet, all SSD. I mention all of this because it's. I hear about it all the time. Uh, in fact, I just got a, I just got a note in this morning that the, the speed in which you can spin up a droplet and try something out is super enabling. It gives you the ability to go from idea to execution in 55 seconds. Uh, yeah, here it is, right here. This is uh, this just came in from Lewis. He says uh, at Chris Las. I was using DigitalOcean snapshot feature before attempting an upgrade. I love it. Oh yeah, that's a great point too. That's also a great point. Uh, Dennis wrote in it. He said, I just want to thank you for the great content you create. I listen each day on my way to work. It's a 45 minute commute, and by the time I get to where I'm going, it feels like I just got done hanging out with all of you. I've learned a lot, and thanks to you, I'm a happy Ting and DigitalOcean and System76 System customer and a Linux Academy customer. I know they all work very hard, and I really appreciate what you do. And I think that's, Dennis really sums it up, is we've worked really hard to find sponsors to create a long-term relationship with them that we think are actual, genuine fits with our audience. Because the, the, the ability to just spin them and try something up in Linux land is super powerful, and it's the fundamental thing about open source software is that easy access to it. Now, of course, you could build your own rig or you can do it in a VM. There's a million ways to solve that problem. But DigitalOcean's a great option. And with our promo code, here's the thing, $10. You can spin one up for free. And they've got data centers all over the world, 40 gigabit E connections into the hypervisors. They're tier one data centers where they've set up partnerships with some of the biggest names in bandwidth and in hosting. It's something that really only DigitalOcean has fully pulled off, the entire stack, from the hardware to the really freaking fantastic UI. Check them out at DigitalOcean.com. And I don't think this is necessarily specific to DigitalOcean hosting. They have a great article. It's part of a whole five-part series, so you can read the whole series if you want. But they just updated this part, how to configure periodic trim for SSD storage on Linux servers. Obviously, since DigitalOcean is all SSD-based, that's pretty heavily focused for DigitalOcean. But it turns out you might have an SSD of your own, and this might apply. So it's a great article. It's professionally edited. It's a huge part of what they focus on. They're not joking around with this stuff. Check them out at DigitalOcean.com. And if you decide to try, you can just use our promo code. Here's the thing. It'll apply it to your account, and then you're just cooking. Or I'm sorry, you're grilling with gas. DigitalOcean.com, promo code. Here's the thing. And thanks, DigitalOcean, for sponsoring the Linux Action Show. You know, you're welcome to use the word cooking or grilling. Or either of those are fine. I'm just not allowed to say barbecuing. Barbecue. Unless right. it's actually barbecue. Then you can say barbecue. Right. And, and just so we're just super clear, uh, your definition of barbecuing is if it's not cooked in a hole in the ground, it's not barbecue. Or, right? or an imitation of a hole in the ground, yes. You said, like but how is that not just lua cooking? That's just lua cooking. That's just... You're just Lua cooking. I mean, that's that's all you're... Anyways, we don't need to talk about... We will pick this up later. 
We need to move forward. And Wait. also, before we move forward, I just want to say one quick thing. Language is an evolving thing. And however society uses the terms is actually what defines the word, not the dictionary. Okay. Anyways, moving forward, let's talk about Blog. our... Blog. <laughs> Blog. <laughs> Internet of things. Mmm, IoT. Mmm. Mmm. Cloud. Cloud. Mmm. I love that one, too. All right. Burp learning. Okay. All right. You're torturing me. You've made your point. Let's talk about our desktop app pick. Teleconsole. Teleconsole just recently went free, and it's a free service. Now, full disclosure here, this is for you when you want to be lazy. This isn't Chris coming at you about the most secure way to, to share your Linux terminal with the world. This isn't me talking about the latest and greatest in private, totally encrypted communications, although I'm sure it all is that. I'm just putting this out there as a super easy way to share your terminal session with people you trust. Your friends can join via command line using SSH or by using their browser. You can use it when two parties are separated by NAT, and you can connect via SSH directly. And uh, as you probably guessed by the name, it is, it is just a simple app and service that uses their proxy, so keep that in mind. And the command is very simple. So I trust it in the most part because they're just proxying SSH connections, so if you generally trust SSH, but keep everything in mind, it's really simple. It is a very easy way to either completely just share your screen and do like a screen casting session or some sort of like collaborative work together, which they show here in their demonstration here on their screen. They show you how you, you could come together. This could be a great way for Noah and I to do, for example, uh, tutorials live, is we could share a console ses session together, and uh, I could make him uh, type while I talk, and he could make me type while he talks. So this is pretty cool. And it, it's really simple because the command to connect is just teleconsole join and then the ID of the session. So it couldn't be simpler. One command join, and then the idea of the session. And you now have two terminal sessions that are shared, collaborative. It's like co-op hacking on the terminal. It's pretty neat. Have I got you impressed, Noah? Very impressed. You I, liar. Here's the, no, I, here's the thing. Th this is one of those things that one day, here's what'll happen. One day, I'll be doing something, and I'll come across a problem, and I'll be like, oh yeah, there's this app that will, that, that, that will fix this thing. But until that day, it's like, I, like right now, off the top of my head, I don't really have a use for it. I just, I just gave you a use. I said we could I, we could I, hack together. Remember what I said? I we know, could hack I know, I know. But neither you or I have time to hack together. I mean, we could right now. Right now on the show, we could do it right now. It could be beautiful. It could be wonderful. All right, fine. Next user or topic. We can <laughs> yeah, hack together. That sounds, that sounds like we a lot of fun. We can have a group hacking session. That's, oh, yeah, that'll be good. Now I hate your idea. All right, so moving, especially since that's an audio show. Uh, let's, uh, let's talk about the desktop spotlight because I think... Something tells me, maybe it's the Grand Forks in your bones, this will interest you a little more. I think okay. I'll get your attention with this one. Although, it sh maybe it would have been better at the top of summer. The open sprinkler. <laughs> I actually need to put a sprinkler in my house. I'm interested. Keep going. Keeping your lawn and flowers beautiful doesn't have to be stressful. Open sprinkler unchains you from your sprinkler or your irrigation control box, enabling you to program, run, or stop zones at any time from anywhere, whether at your desktop, laptop, tablet, or phone, or whether you're at wait home. A minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Are you trying to cloudify my sprinkler system? Well, I'm not, but the uh, the good folks over at opensprinkler.com sure are, and this is a hackable, open-source, Raspberry Pi-powered open sprinkler system. They even have uh, an Android app ready to go. It's it's kind of legit. Here, Noah, I'm going to, I'm gonna. Uh, oh, shoot, I didn't read the, uh, did they tell me what the, I was going to try their demo. Uh, so yeah, okay. Uh, open door for the password. Are you ready? We're gonna demo this thing right now, live on okay. air. 
See, we could be sharing this. We could be sharing this. All right, so here this we go. Not, you're right. This is more interesting. <laughs> boom, boom. Here we go. We're going to, oh, look at that. We go in here. Uh, do you want to stop the selective station? I can stop it. Yes. Look at that. Are you impressed? It has the temperature, the water level. I, I am. The thing that concerns me is I feel like Raspberry Pis oftentimes are like the bad science project, right? Like if I was going to put something in my house to control, I feel like I'd, I'm fine with ARM, but I'd kind of rather it be like a hardware device that's specifically designed for, you know, for, for industrial embedded use. I, I feel like Raspberry Pi is the place you go to try something out, you know, not the, not, not the way you productize it. Well, and isn't that just a beauty of it being open source? Because you could probably end yeah. up standing yeah, up on your true. own system. Just get it run on anything, yeah. yeah, but the hard, the whole hardware kit's pretty neat. You, uh, come on, I come on. I just I am, no, I'm, ge I'm genuinely interested because the, the thing is, I was actually getting bids a couple weeks ago for putting. The thing is, I've noticed that anyone that has like nice lawns, they have a sprinkler system. So I said to myself, self, you need a sprinkler system. Uh, and so I, I, uh, I, I was, uh, I was going to, I, I, I was getting in the process of getting bids, and <clears throat> looks like Hunter is the is the is the go to brand that everyone goes to. Uh, but if I could use this instead for the controlling part of it, I'm all over that. Especially if I can find a, you know, some sort of an in industrial arm machine to use. Here's what I like about it. It's Linux controlling sprinklers. Stop. That is good. That's all I got to say. That's why it's the spotlight. It's not a desktop pick. It's just a spotlight. It open sources powering sprinklers, keeping your grass green. Now, I just say let the grass grow, let it die. Don't bother with the sprinkler system. Hey, hey. Just, just because you're, I think it's, nature is beautiful just as it is, and we should leave it alone. I think we should <laughs> leave it alone. That's my thoughts. We okay. let nature run its course. You you're know what? what? You're part. You're part of the everyone's pretty and everyone gets a trophy no. generation. Huh? You know what I'm part of? Oh. I'm part of the realization that we are on this earth for but a tiny fraction, a tiny, tiny, tiny fraction of the whole earth's time, and that oh. little piece of land doesn't belong to you. You have it for an imp immeasurable tiny fraction that is so inconsequential to the entire earth as a whole that the yeah. idea that you own that land and you think you need to maintain it is adorable you now, the dirt i, I want to look in the grass nice because while it may be a fraction of time in the grand scheme of things it's my entire freaking life i gotta look at brown grass out the front door that's fine that's fine it's just this whole i gotta conquer the land concept that we monkeys seem to have sometimes but that's good if you yeah. enjoy it oh no i don't yeah i don't have any of that i don't really care what anyone else thinks i wouldn't take in a poll when good, i bought the place, then that's but perfect but I just I want it to look nice. I and if I can do that with Linux, that's better. That's there you go. And I think that's perfectly legit. Hey, you know what else is legit? Our new show, Freaking User Air, brand new show on the Jupiter Broadcasting Network. Who knows when the fourth episode's gonna come out, but we got three out right now. And I think legitimately, I'm not trying to brag here, Noah, but I think everybody likes like each episode's gotten more and more positive feedback. Mm -hmm. Really happy about that. And the beard, you know, he's coming out. People love him. Mm -hmm. He's blossoming on his own. He's got a big update in the next episode. All of that. User error episode three just came out, Sustainable Laziness. Uh, and we do actually tackle quite a bit of it show, uh, in, um, topics, I guess I should say, that would be relevant to your interests, um, including... There is no limit. Yeah. I mean, there's there a lot no of Linux in it, though. There's a, there, they, we cover anything from small business uh, topics to possibly Rikai being dead to some really interesting and important Linux stuff that I think we did our best take on it yet in that episode. So... Mm -hmm. uh, check it out. User Air 3 is out. And we have a link to all the episodes in the show notes. And I'll also just give a quick plug. You can't quite see it. Oh, yeah, you can. You see that new... Look, I got the new Jupiter Broadcasting Rocket uh, sticker on my monitor there. Nice. And the new Die Cut BSD Now logo, too. Uh, JupiterBroadcasting.com nice. slash stickers. Yeah, we should get a last one on there, huh? Yeah. 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 I should just get all of them BSD on there. BSD crap. Yeah, boy. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> 
Uh, JupiterBroadcasting.com slash stickers. You can get a show sticker, get a network sticker, get a sticker for all the shows, put some new ones up there. They're pretty cheap. It, it's a nice way to support the network and also just get yourself some swag or maybe help us market a little bit. I stick them on machines mostly. Back of a phone mm-hmm. case also works pretty good, like especially, I'm going to say that BSD Now one because it's die cut to the microphone. Oh, yeah, or there you go. My face on the back of my phone. Bam! That's great. Yep, seen a lot Man, of that, Man, talk too. about a conversation starter. Is that a sticker of you on the back of your phone? Well, yes, it is. <laughs> Why is it there? Well, let me tell you about it. <laughs> let me tell you about System 76. Let me tell you about Linux. Thank you, too. Look at uh, Sia, ba- Sia, Sia Boots 9 in the chat room. Says, user errors quality. The editing works very tight, but at the same time, very relaxed sounding. I agree. Thank you very much. And, uh, yeah, so check it out. I'm really happy with the way User Error 3 came out. Our, this week is totally nuts, so I don't know when User Error 4 will come out, but if you subscribe to the RSS, you just get it when it's ready. All right, but we're not here to talk about User Error. We're here to talk about major Linux news stories and review the new Loki release. So let's do the news. The news in this episode is brought to you by Ting.com. Everybody visit last.ting.com to support the show and get yourself $25 off a Ting device. Or if you bring a device, you get $25 in service credit. Now, your average bill is going to be about $23 per device-ish. That's about what mine is. And if you get a $25 service credit, that's going to pay for more than your first month. They have two networks, CDMA and GSM, so you probably have a device that works with them. But here's the beautiful thing about Ting. You only pay for what you use. What? 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 That's right. You only pay for what you use. When you go to last.ting.com, you can learn more. No contracts, no early termination fee. You don't have to pay for minutes or messages or data that you might or might not use or that you get to roll over. No, you just pay for what you use. It's really simple. You got a great dashboard to manage all of it. Super great customer service that's really passionate. They're actual human beings. <laughs> they got And they got every device, too, from like the feature phones all the way up to the Cadillacs. Although I don't know about that Note 7. That, that might be a little hard to get your hands on. If you go to Ting and just want to learn more and support the show by visiting last.ting.com, stop by their blog. Do yourself a favor. Hey, Noah, stop by their blog. I, I actually, so on your Note 7 comment, um, I actually had a friend that wanted a Note 7 and wanted to, to bring it on to Ting. So it was actually a pretty straightforward process. You can go into AT&T and buy a Note 7, which, and you, you want to, be careful and look at, at the bands. In this particular case, Note 7 is going to work just fine. And purchased a, a Note 7 and you take it and go to, on, you just buy it outright. And then you go to their, their website and you type in a little code and it emails you a code to unlock the phone. And now you got an unlocked GSM phone. Wow. Brought it over to Ting, works just fine. That's nice. Yep. Yeah. Too mm-hmm. bad they blow up in your pocket and have been recalled because otherwise that'd be really sweet. <laughs> Well, it hasn't blown up in his pocket yet. It's been, it's he been a should seriously so return far. it. Did you see? Did you see that Jeep I sent you? The guy's Jeep that blew up. He should seriously return really? that thing. Yeah, yeah. Guy's Jeep, Jeep blew, blew up, up recently. Yeah, yeah. Really? Yeah. Because of a Note Seven. Yes. 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 You know what? Go get yourself a Nexus device and put that on Ting. Now, this is seriously grilling with charcoal because you can not only get the great Nexus experience, which is hit or miss depending on the apps, but it's legitimately updated by Google directly with monthly security updates. Unless your phone gets monthly security updates, you got to wonder what you're not patched from. I love that you can get it on Ting. You go buy it from the Play Store directly. It's on sale all the time. 
you, you just pop in the SIM card. It's got all the band support you need in here. You get a device directly from Play. You put it on the Ting network. No contract. It's like you're off the grid. It's it's the coolest experience ever. And if you know how to use Wi-Fi to download podcasts or YouTube, if you have YouTube Red, which I think Ting should blog about this, if you get like Google Play or whatever the Google Music subscription, then you get YouTube Red for free or included. So I ended up with YouTube Red one day. And you know what you can do in YouTube Red? You can legit download YouTube videos from to your phone, and you can watch them oh, all yeah. offline on your phone for absolutely like no extra like strings attached. It's just built can I into get the YouTube the files? app. It's, well, I don't know, probably, but I don't know if you can officially get to the files. It's nice stuff. And the really nice thing really to, to say about Ting, though, is it can work for whatever you want. If you want your Samsung device, if you want a Nexus device, or if you just want a feature phone that you don't have to worry about with no contract, I mean, hell, if you've got a device that just takes a GSM, a GSM SIM and you want to put it on the Internet, how beautiful exactly. is something you only pay for what you use? It's six bucks exactly. for the line. You got like a tablet or a Raspberry Pi that's got the GSM thingy. Go for it. Just help us out by going to last.ting first and get yourself a discount too. And uh, also, if you haven't heard, Ting has recently dropped their data rates. They're even more attractive now. Last.ting.com. Thanks, Ting. Sponsoring Linux Action Show. This is sort of a cool milestone. Let's start out the news with this. Let's Encrypt tweeted uh, today, no, uh, just a couple days ago. They now have more, they have issued more than 10 million SSL certs with about 5.4 million are being currently valid today. That's a huge, huge milestone for this project. That's a ton, ton more HTTPS out on the web. And it's powered by open source software. It's being integrated into different open source projects all the time. It's even been being taken advantage by malware and ransomware authors. I mean, it is a huge, huge force now in the security industry. It's a, it's, it, if nothing else, Let's Encrypt is making huge progress to letting people have some faith that the website they are visiting is legitimately the website they intend to visit. And that mm, is... That, I, I disagree with that. How do you disagree really, with that? Because it's not, it's not proving that... It's, it's proving that you have a secure connection from you to the website. It's not necessarily mm, authenticating mm. the website at all. No, I, I would say... I, I would say... Let's Encrypt on anything. Yeah, but I mean, there is... Don't, I mean, but the SSL cert, the the cert is right. There is a there is a there is a trail of the ownership that you can that you can verify. And if it doesn't match, no, no, yeah, you, you, I would say you if anything, you, it asks you to enter an email and a name. I could put anything in that field. Yeah, I know, I, but you can check that. And this is my point. If anything, I would say let's encrypt because it is so easy to automate. It is easy to roll into ransomware. It basically makes getting SSL super straightforward. The only service it does offer is identity verification. I would say that's the only thing that you can truly get from, I mean, it offers, obviously gives you SSL, but the fact that you can verify it and you could tell if that's not, if that's not AltaSpeed, HTTPS, AltaSpeed.com, when I look at that, that's generally the only other thing. That I, I don't, I don't feel that when you, when you take out all of the other strings and you make it possible to automatically generate asserts and make everything else simple, there is a downside to increasing availability to some degree, but all of the other benefits outweigh it. And I think I, I think identity is is one of them. And specifically, specifically, I think the more likely scenario is phishing. I think the more likely scenario is if you, yeah. if somebody's sending you a link to a PayPal website and they go get a Let's Encrypt uh, uh, thing that looks kind of similar and it makes it. We're going to talk about malware here in a moment that uses a Let's Encrypt cert to use mm -hmm. HTTPS traffic. But at the end of the but day, I mean, if, I, if I go if I go register, you know, like 
PayPal, paypalpayments.com or whatever, I can get a Let's Encrypt certificate for PayPal and you're going to get the little green thing. It doesn't verify that it's, it's not telling you who the identity is. It's just telling you that you have a secure connection from you to me. There is a process though, in which that can be revoked because they are sitting on the paypal.com domain. There is a process in place that allows for revoking of that, which if you think about that's, you can't always, you can't, like I just, in TechSnap covered a story where, uh, uh, there was an SSL cert issued for GitHub because somebody had a GitHub email and they just thought, well, if they got a GitHub email, they must be from GitHub and they just gave them the cert. Uh, I think I think that, that that is, I think there is a practical issue that Let's Encrypt solves and there is a theoretical issue that you are concerned about. No, it's not a theory. I'm I'm just saying that I don't I don't get where you're getting that it confirms an identity. I don't think it does anything to confirm an identity. It just makes sure that you can talk to a a, a server. It makes sure that the the server that you're talking to has a secure communication between the two. Right. But I, I yeah, that's it. it. It doesn't verify anything. I disagree. Okay. I think well, that's actually the best thing that Let's Encrypt is involved is is brought is the entire process of being able to verify the identity of the cert. You have to check if you're if you but that's only if you care. But if you want a secure connection, like if you want to give your clients a secure connection, want to be implemented, you now have easy access to giving them HTTPS connections and SSL connections, and they now have the ability to ever in the future check to see if that cert is legitimately for AltaSpeed or for somebody else. Okay, I, can we put it to the can we put it to the test? Can I go try to impersonate Jupiter Broadcasting and I'll register like JupiterBroadcasting.org well, and get it? Possibly, I don't know if it. But my point is, there is a process in place in which I could. I could then go to them and say, no, here's me. This is actually my identity. And they could revoke that, which is a, that's that's an important aspect of the process. Yeah, I, I guess I, I it just it doesn't seem to me where Let's Encrypt excels, like the, the real advantage to it is not in the uh, I don't think I would trust it to, to verify an identity because even if that even if that did work out, that relies that the person that actually owns the domain is looking at all of these other possible registration. And and, and I agree, you know, but I think I, I, just, I don't think I don't think that's that's a real advantage. Here's where, where our core, do, here's where our core disagreement is. Our core disagreement is I think spoofing domains and doing man-in-the-middle attacks and DNS mm -hmm. spoofing like behind corporate firewalls or when people connect to Wi-Fi access points mm -hmm. at coffee shops, I think mm -hmm. that is way, way more of a practical, real threat that faces end sure. users, especially on – so um, think about mobile devices. There's mm -hmm. not an efficient way via the browser or other means to install malware on a mobile device unless they mm -hmm. allow unknown sources – there's not a good way to get malware on like you can with a Windows box. And so mm -hmm. the way that we the way that users are being duped now is at mm -hmm. the DNS level. If you if you alter where website requests get sent at the DNS level, you affect all of the devices on the network. You get everybody. You get Android mm -hmm. devices, you get iOS devices, you get Macs, you get Windows, sure. you get everybody. And it's sure. becoming rampant. It is a massive problem. And this mm -hmm. is a practical real issue affecting users that have no idea what they're doing connecting mm -hmm. to just anybody's Wi-Fi all the time or people right. behind corporate firewalls that are getting redirected based on I tricky DNS. This is the problem, the fundamental issue that Let's Encrypt solves. That issue right there is an actual problem affecting people that when you have valid SSL certs in place that you give, you make it ac the access to those SSL certs easier, then more people can have... Now that I agree with. That, that part that's I agree. the kind of identity I verification I'm talking about. No, but I don't agree with the identity verification part. Because what I agree with if you have a if you have a DNS server at your corporate level that is redirecting, I did this to my clients for Facebook.com. 
if so just let's use let's just use facebook.com say they're all https i now know if i visit https facebook.com if i unless unless they are doing something very advanced i now know if i'm getting a bogus website or not if they didn't right. have ssl encryption before that is identity verification i know that's not the true identity of the website i'm visiting it, that may work. That, that that might be true when you're going. First of all, I don't think Facebook.com is using Let's Encrypt. But when you're looking at these, no, no, my point. At, like, I just use that no, as an example. No, it's, here's the problem. The problem with is with Facebook.com, it's going through like Verisign, and Verisign there actually is a process. I have to prove. I have to send in documentation that I own. But the you business, have to prove with Let's Encrypt mailing address and all that other stuff. Let's Encrypt. I simply type. I fill in three fields. I press enter, and I have a certificate. But it then, takes 30 but, seconds. but then they also check the domain to see if you you have to verify that you own that domain. Like they'll check the server. Sure, to but. Sure, but what I'm saying is, if I register jupiterbroadcasting.io, I assume that's not registered, right? That I can go generate a certificate for jupiterbroadcasting.io, and I own that domain, so I can put a, a Let's Encrypt certificate and start it up. But the problem is, if I went through something like VeriSign, or I'm just using them because that's the example that I have. There, I don't have to. I don't have to send an, a copy of my mailing address and prove that UltaSpeed exists at this address, and then they send me a little form in, and I sign it and send it. But there, none of that happens with Let's Encrypt. It just literally generates a certificate, and maybe there is a process for going through and saying. I actually own Jupiter Broadcasting, and this guy is impersonating me by creating his own little domain over here. And maybe there is a, a revocation process, but that doesn't guarantee that when I go to when I visit a website and I get the little green padlock, that that's actually Jupiter Broadcasting. All it tells me is that I have a secure connection to that particular server. But my, what what where I think that there's an advantage to that in is with take a look at the difference between like. SSH and Telnet. Telnet is like inherently insecure and totally unencrypted. And SSH, it doesn't take any more work to SSH into a server than it does to Telnet into it. But because the process has been so heavily automated and is and and secure by default, everyone uses SSH. And that's I think that's really where Let's Encrypt shines is because people it's we're going to get in a point i don't know if we're quite there yet but we're really really close we're going to get to a point very very soon where https is just going to be the default and when you just deploy something by default it will happen because of the advantages of let's encrypt that's where i think the advantage is i i, I really strongly disagree that that the the advantage of let's encrypt is in identity verification does that make sense Sort of. I think we still like. So when I, I guess I don't really want to. I don't want to drag this out too long because I feel like we've been talking about okay. it too much. Uh, sure. I feel like we. I guess we could talk about it in the post show. Um, so it, it it confirms the domain by doing a challenge response script on the server owning the domain. So you have to have access to the server to have the cert become legit from Let's Encrypt. Sure. So sure. You, you for your scenario, what you're talking about, you'd have to own the web server and. Then create sure. a certificate and and exist on that sure. server. I just I don't know. I don't. That's no problem. That's not, a, a Jupiter Broadcasting. I own JupiterBroadcasting.org, for example. If I had a if I had a web server, on right. It, I but could it, own but, the web but server. not dot com yeah. necessarily. And see the thing that I the, I the, I don't I I do agree that that is owning. You know I do agree that you could own a web server and then go get a cert and then have the challenge response program work. And maybe it's gotten more automated since the last time I tried it. But in my recollection, you had to have that challenge response. So as long as you have that, that's at least a barrier. Whereas people getting DNS spoofed is happening constantly. But we should probably move on because I don't think we have to – because I don't know. I guess we could pick it up on feedback if people want – you know what? That's a good – let's do this. If people want to you know, set us straight or give us their thoughts, go over to jupiterbroadcasting.com slash contact. Choose last from the dropdown and um, let us know your thoughts on it, and we'll pick it back up if you guys have uh, some good points of clarification or something like that. Because 
I, I think it's I think it's a pretty remarkable milestone. Regardless, ten million certs issued is pretty huge. Five point four million in uh, are valid right now as we record this. That seems that seems historical to me in some sense. In some sense, like like in a post Snowden world, that seems that seems like that's a bad day for the NSA. Like I, I, that, I think we agree on, right? Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. And assuming that people are managing those certificates well, <laughs> right? because if you, well, because or the fact that they expire. You know, yeah, <laughs> you, that, don't renew. That, you know, the other thing is, too, is if you think about it, like if just as as a, as a thought experiment, if if the government goes and collects all of this information, even if it's encrypted and then all of a sudden at any point you let that private certificate lapse. Now they can go back and say, oh, now we can go back yeah, and, and yeah. decrypt all this stuff. So yeah. you really got to be pay attention to it. Yeah, it is. It is an interesting world. And more encryption is always a good thing. And what I would really like to see is just uh, that take off like crazy, which has has improved just so that way you're not an oddball when you're the one using encryption. It's just the norm. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's something we'll see. We'll keep an eye on it. Congrats to Let's Encrypt, too. I uh, probably should give a congrats over to the Solus Project, too. They just uh, dropped a new version of the Bungie desktop, 10.27, with uh, nice improvements over there. Really slick-looking release this this time with some nice, nice updates. But the other thing I noticed from the project that caught my attention, look at this. They're announcing uh, mate support. Yeah, they're gonna. I guess it's part of an effort to bring over all kinds of desktop dis, uh, desktop environments to Solus. They're bringing over uh, Mate, so there'll be a Solus Mate edition soon. Mate, Mate, right? <laughs> Mate. I don't know why I got that wrong because I've been getting it right for so long. It's just old habits, no old habits. <laughs> because it's spelt like Mate. <laughs> That's why. Yeah, if if you're an English speaker, it's, it looks like Mate to me. But uh, I think it's pretty cool to see that a project that I think initially started out really kind of being known for creating its own desktop environment, not being mm-hmm. afraid to break out of that dynamic. And I think that's pretty impressive and shows that there's some long-term thinking over that Solus. I mean, they're going to keep obviously working on their desktop, but they aren't religious about it. And I think that's uh, that's kind of interesting. So there you go. Also, uh, just a uh, just a quick pl- uh, mention, I'm not really a plug because – that's the wrong word to use completely. Uh, I want to talk about this GovRat. Now, RAT, Noah, do you have a guess what RAT stands for in the malware context? I have no idea. Oh, uh, you're going to feel silly when I tell you. Remote Access Trojan. Yeah, see? Okay. RAT, okay. RAT, yeah. Uh, first discovered in uh, November 2015 by InfoArmor, the GovRat malware is Remote Access tro- Trojan sold on the Hellform. And uh, according to recent listings by a guy named The Real Deal, <laughs> GovRat's price is 2.574 bitcoins. You can also buy the whole damn source code for $6,000, probably equivalent in bitcoins. Uh, it's being, the, uh, the uh, hacker is, uh, I guess, well-known, they say. And uh, once, targeted, once a target is infected with GovRat, the attacker can use it to sp- uh, send off uh, in further infections to other local network machines and scan the network for traffic and dump passwords for infected apps that it detects. The data can be used to spread to nearby servers from whereby it can affect more victims. GovRat allows its buyers to use and access an infected host, search for crucial files, and then exfiltrate the stolen data to a remote server. And GovRat can also deploy USB worms to USB flash drives, which will infect any other PCs. That the flash drive is plugged into. That's a Windows-only function. And the functionality is used by jumping from target to target for air-gap networks. That's specific, specifically what they have it in there for. Mm-hmm. Also, your control and command server also runs on a Linux box, if you'd like to host that on a Linux box. It has... Did he do that on DigitalOcean? He probably do could. <laughs> he probably could. I don't think they want you to, though. It also has customized encryption. 
Oh, good. Which just coming out of our encryption discussion, uh, the mm-hmm. the uh, that's kind of ironic. And then also SSL support, but you have to get an SSL valid assert probably from Let's Encrypt. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the customized encryption—that's a funny one. It almost makes me think this whole thing's fake. Almost. It might be. First of all, so why call it GovRat? That seems very obvious. I guess they claim it was because he wanted to market to people who want to hack governments. The customized encryption for communications is probably the tell that this is fake because the worst thing you could do if you know what you're doing is roll your own encryption. There is not a bigger mistake you can make because you are not as smart as the rest of the entire world and you got to go with something that's been banged on. You got to go with something that's just been in production that... Mm -hmm. It really holds up, and when you roll Unless your own it's open source, then in which case everyone knows the secret, so it's not very. It's no secure. good. You got to get rid of that. Can't use anything open source. Got to get rid of that. Mm-hmm. Anyways, uh, it really is a gift to government agencies like the NSA when you use your own encryption because you un- undoubtedly would make a mistake. And it's the same reason mm-hmm. why I wouldn't say Telegram is hack proof because they're rolling their own thing. Yeah, there's not a bounty that's been cashed in yet, but so this kind of makes me think it might be fud because. A real expert that would build something like this would probably know better than their own custom encryption, unless it's just marketing mm-hmm. speak. Like just a couple mm-hmm. other points of uh, interest on this thing. Uh, it, ha- it gives you, uh, it gives you um, the ability to execute remote commands and then pull it all down to this one server. And if they detect that somebody has picked up on this event, like I don't know how they detect this, but if they detect mm-hmm. that somebody on the network, uh, like an administrator, has become aware of this, it will spin up and start sending to a bogus remote server a fake one, and stop sending the legit one for a while to send people on a different track, and then, like, I don't know if you can get the data somehow, but or it, just doesn't, it never sends it back. I don't know that part. But it'll actually, it'll actually pretend like it's communicating with a fake command and control server just to throw the, the sysadmins and security folks off track, which I thought, I thought was pretty clever. And, so, and of course, it's, they got versions available for Windows and Linux, so I uh, have at it. For $6,000, you too can own your own GovRat. <laughs> it's just weird. It's just weird. Peace of mind is the creator is the name of the is the guy that made it. Maybe maybe customized encryption just means they took an existing encryption thing and like tailored it so that it's yeah right like something legit and then like like called it something really cool like like some marketing term yeah like they one click deployed the their their encryption precision precision encryption like that's I want precision encryption on my stuff like you know what I mean and it could just be like they're just using GNU PG on the back. See, I have such a bad ego. If I was going to come up with something, I would name it something like absurd. Like I'd be like impenetrable. Yeah, per- yeah, yeah, yeah. That's good too. Impenetrable <laughs> would be good. Really great way yeah. To get yeah. Well, at least you wouldn't name it after yourself. That's the mark of a true ego. So this is another huge milestone. The world eats its tenth million Raspberry Pi, as the register puts it. The uh, humble pie. <laughs> Raspberry Pi has sold over ten million units and has announced today a brand new Raspberry Pi starter kit to celebrate the achievements. And Noah and Chris, I think Noah, say to themselves, why why did they not release this a lot earlier? So this is an official starter kit from the Raspberry Pi folks starting at $99. It comes with... Uh- well, I just I think I'm okay with them not release. So first, for, for for a couple of reasons, I'm okay with them not not doing this until late into the game. One is the really exciting thing, and probably my favorite thing about the Raspberry Pi is it forces the people that own them and play with them to actually have to learn about them. You can't just pull it out of the box and start using it, right? You just pull it out of the box. You have a, you're holding a circuit board now. You better figure out how to power that sucker. And oh, by the way, you better figure out storage. Oh, and by the way, you better better figure out how to how to flash, uh, you know, an image to it. And you can go buy the card, of course, but 
you know, really you have to understand the thing a little bit. And then the second thing that's really cool about it yeah. is it's such a low barrier to entry. People don't think about it. And, and even people like you and me who understand what I'm getting when I buy a starter pack are sometimes tempted to go with the starter pack rather than piece it out on our own because we're like, well, what if it takes a special kind of SD card? Or, you know, your, your example with the um, RAM inside of the Intel Nook. You know, and, and, and then that leads to this discussion of like, well, maybe I don't want to buy this starter pack because 99 bucks is not really a toy. But you and I, on a whim, like on a Thursday night, we're like, we don't have an idea for last. Let's both buy Raspberry Pis and review the Raspberry Pi 3. And like, just there we go. We spent 39 bucks and ordered it. Yeah. And you can do that because it's $39. Just, I, like I feel the, like that changes uh, 99. That's true. I mean, they'll still probably make, I mean, they're always going to keep the lower price point available. Right. Yeah. I guess from like, when I think about it from like a school standpoint, I kind of like the idea mm -hmm. of getting the official starter kit. That does feel sure. sort of more like um, conceptually something that maybe mm -hmm. the school board would be more behind, things like that. Like if you're going to spend mm -hmm. some serious money, that might be, that might be an advantage. So you get the Pi 3 Model B, you get an eight gigabyte SD card, you get an official case, uh, an official 2.5 amp multi-region power supply, an official HDMI cable, an optical mouse, and a keyboard with high-quality scissor switch action. <laughs> That's what it says. And a copy of Adventures in Raspberry Pi Foundation. That's actually pretty neat. The team mm -hmm. estimated that 10,000, or I'm sorry, uh, yeah, 10,000 units would be sold in their lifetime to students. 10,000 units would be sold in its lifetime to students. But mm -hmm. we're surprised when the pocket-sized computer was a hit amongst adults as well. Well, why wouldn't it be? Why yeah, wouldn't I, it be? No kidding. I, 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 and so I think a couple of things. One is, <clears throat> while I don't really care for the Raspberry Pi in like a production, you know, inter, like a industrial type setting, I really think it fits well in with kids and learning and stuff like that. But it also, it totally hits the hacker space, the I want to try this project. And like, there are so many times when I've had an idea and I'm like, you know what I could do? I could do this. I need a computer to try it on. I'm not going to spend $300 to try this because it might not work out. But heck, I'd spend 39 bucks to try it and see if it works out. And so you lower the barrier to entry for a lot of these projects and, and ideas to get started. I think that's really cool. Yep. And it and it has inspired an entire industry. You know, it's super competitive with a lot of really great mm -hmm. options. Raspberry Pi is mm -hmm. among some great friends. Uh, so it's pretty cool. And congratulations to them on, on 10 million freaking units. Uh, that's uh, that's That blows my brain off. And uh, I think it's really good news that that is... I mean, I got to say, probably nearly 9 million of them are running Linux. Got to be damn close to all yeah, of them are yeah. running Linux. Maybe a few yeah, are any, ru running a couple other things, but... Yeah, and, you know, if anyone isn't out there that hasn't seen our review, go back and check out the review of the Raspberry Pi 3. We, I tried it, and I think both of us tried it with Ubuntu Mate, mm -hmm. and we were talking about how incredible it is to be able to take the same desktop experience I have on my laptop and my desktop and move that over to a $39 computer. And for the really, for the vast majority of the use of it, didn't even notice. Didn't yeah, even notice. It's pretty great. And it, it means you can start having computers in places you never thought possible before. Exactly. And it's it's a lot of fun to play with. And it's not a very big investment to start out with. But that mm -hmm. right there is all the news for this week. Elementary OS has their brand new Loki release out. It dropped on Friday, and we're going to tell you our thoughts. Been kicking the tires on a few different pieces of hardware. I'll do a rundown of that, tell you what I love about the OS, maybe what we think still needs some work, and give you our general thoughts on this very unique Linux distribution. But before we get to that, 
I want to thank our segment sponsor who makes it possible, Linux Academy. Go to linuxacademy.com slash unplugged to support this show. You go there, you learn more about the Linux Academy platform, a unique place built around Linux. Everything from the basics to the advanced topics and all of the stuff that runs on top of Linux. If you need to get certs, if you want to get hands-on experience, if you want to just get your employer's attention or you need to challenge yourself and learn something new like Noah does, he's a developer now, you go to linuxacademy.com slash unplugged. And uh, you not only do you support the show, but you get a good list of all of their features. In fact, browse around on their page and take a look. See how cool their service is. It's created by a bunch of Linux enthusiasts and professionals, developers, and educators who come together to create a platform to learn a lot about Linux. And one of the things I think is unique to them is instructor mentoring is actually available on topics like this. It's very nice. they got virtual machines that spin up. Check them out. LinuxAcademy.com slash unplugged. So I want to tell you a little bit about my experience with the new Loki release. Uh, for me, personally, it was, it's was it been a lot of fun. On, on Friday, we did a, a live stream event, and uh, Daniel and uh, Cassidy from Elementary OS stopped by, and uh, we chatted about some of the new features. So I'll try to remember to post that in the show notes. That is available as its own separate release. It's kind of like a like an announcement stream and a highlight of some of the stuff they've done. But, you know, it really kind of got me thinking. Elementary OS is a really kind of unique distribution in a couple of ways, primarily around the way they release. Um so it's based on Ubuntu 16.04, Loki is, but it didn't come out around the time Ubuntu 16.04 did, which pretty much all of the other flavors based around Ubuntu and additions, they do come out at, at the same time that the main mm -hmm. Ubuntu release does. And mm -hmm. Elementary OS stands out. They, they define their release model um, as when it's ready. Is that's, that's the summary of it. And what they do is they, they, they literally publicly post a burndown chart of the bugs and issues that are incoming and the things that are fixed and outgoing. And when the chart gets down to zero, that's when they release. And so when they release, the known issues are often almost nothing if not minor things that come out immediately after release. I've had some insight into this process, and uh, it's not like the other distributions where they'll have a page-long list of problems that might not be working. They really are paying a lot of close attention to detail. And, and, and because of that, you get a pretty much if conditions are right hardware-wise, a problem-free experience. Like, I've had no Wi-Fi issues at all that I, that I experienced can, under Ubuntu 16. Can you go back and talk about, um, could you touch on the longevity of, of how that process plays out longevity-wise with your son's computer? Well, I'd say it's very, it's led to a very consistent experience in the sense that um, they seem to be deciding on certain design decisions once, and I'm going to touch on that more here in a moment. And then they they stick with it through multiple releases. So uh, there are key commands that worked in Freya that still work in the desktop environment in Loki that I learned once, and it's still applicable. There's there's a consistency there. So if you need a system that uh, you want you want a sort of like a you know it's a good it's a good it's a good candidate for an LTS system for whatever reason that might be. There's a lot of them. Um, it's a step above because it's a refined LTS experience. You have to kind of be in, if you're a Linux user, the perspective to think of is what, am I, what do I want from a desktop? Do I want something that's a little more refined, a little more stable? And that's, I think, the appeal at the core of it for Linux users. But I don't really think that's their core demo. I think elementary OS is really more focused on Windows and Mac users. They're not really focused on Ubuntu Unity users and GNOME desktop users or Plasma desktop users or XFC or et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. They are really, honestly, uh, focused on switching people from Windows and Mac. And I think 
that sort of explains the philosophy behind some of what they've done. Uh, I have it loaded here. I thought maybe we'd go over a little bit of it. So I've got uh, sure. this is the pretty close to Loki default install. And one of the things I can't really show you that they've worked on a lot is the new notification system. Yes. I like it a lot. I like that it's way better than the system in Unity. Um, mm -hmm. And all of them get listed sort of like you would get a notification pane on Android. You e can pull this down. Even even compared to what it was in, in Freya. Yes. The, yeah. the, the And the granular controls are being able to set, in, you know, like, what shows up in in the in the when the notifications come yeah. down? I think actually the notifications settings is a pretty good example of what I'm saying about a consistent design that once you grok it, it it it's like this screen I have up right now. This is the this is the screen you configure how notifications behave, and I can honestly I can look at this screen without even reading a single word on it, and I can tell you what every one of those options does without even reading the words. That sort of visual recognition. So hold on a second. So hold on. What you're saying is that your mind is a very picture-based. It's true. Uh, it's true. Yeah. Okay. And so yeah. you tend to and to, you tend to gravitate towards pictures, and and that tends I do to like be pictures. a faster response than reading. Yeah. Things. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and you see how they've illustrated. So for those of you on the audio, they have three boxes here that represent the different styles of notifications, and you can simply toggle them on or off. And it's, it's clearly illustrated what you will get. And for somebody like me who's kind of picky about the notifications I get, I can't tell you how happy this has made me. And the fact that they have a global D&D &D toggle that you just hit and everything goes away. And you toggle it off and it all comes back. And everything gets listed here so I can come back and see what I've missed. It's mm -hmm. the perfect, perfect way to do desktop notifications. And the UI to manage it matches. I mean, it's really slick. It is a great UI. And it's an area they've spent a lot of work on. Uh, mm -hmm. And I, I'm really impressed. Another area that I don't feel like they're giving a lot of attention to, and mm -hmm. this has just been in my testing. So my hardware has been the Purism Librem 15, a uh, couple-year-old. Does tap-to-click work? Can you disable it? Uh, tap-to-click is on. You know what, I'm not off? sure. I could ch Let me check, because they have some, some options in universal access. It looks like, uh, yes, it looks like you can turn it off. Yeah. Oh my god, really? Yeah, yeah. Right. Uh, and so the, uh, the power, I don't know, so I've tried, it, I've tried it on the Librem 15, I've tried it on a Bonobo, and I've tried it here on this XBS 13. Mm -hmm. And across all three of them, it has had the best battery life out of any disk drive reviewed this year. I've gotten really? legitimately an hour or maybe hour and a half more off my laptops. I don't know what that is. Wow. I, I couldn't tell you why because um, I know they have done a few things in here. In fact, one of the things that's really neat that they've done is if you have an application that's generating a lot of power usage, and I'm trying to do it right now in the application or in the set system settings by moving it around and triggering a lot of stuff, if you go look at the power menu after you do that, it power shames. So in the power menu here, it says apps using a lot of power, and it lists the applications on your system that are consuming the most power. Did you really just say that? I did, because it tells you, like, these are the apps that are power hungry, and you should kill them. Mm -hmm. uh, burn them with fire if battery life matters. And I think that's really slick. One of the other nice things before I get off the power menu, devices that you hold in your hand, like Logitech wireless mice and things like that, their battery status also shows up in that power menu. Plasma desktop, other desktops have done that for a while, but it, it's nice to have that in there. So really good battery life. Some of the best battery life I've seen, even, even, even comparing stock Ubuntu 16.04 with Unity, I'm getting better battery life. So I don't know- And you have wireless too, which is great. Another feature that I don't know if it's brand new for Loki, but you might like it a lot, Noah, 
Uh, mm-hmm. In the in the network settings, it's like one click hotspot. So if your laptop has an internet connection, you can reshare that mm-hmm. with other machines. One click sets up hotspot. That's that's also I think I think that's pretty slick. I think that's really nice. Yeah, especially if your laptop like mine has a WAN card in it, and uh, and so my laptop always has a persistent internet connection. And the battery, of course, my laptop is a lot bigger than the one in my phone. Yep. So being able to use the hotspot on my laptop actually would be a lot more convenient than using the hotspot yep. on the phone. That is exactly what their intention was uh, behind that. So then we move on to some of the desktop applications. I'll just touch on a couple mm-hmm. of them here. Um, this is this is really this is this is one of the applications that's gotten some work. It's Mail, and uh, it's their port of Geary, and um, it's pretty nice. It's it's they've done some they've they've pulled out some WebView stuff and put in actual native code, and the performance of it's really click. It fires right up. Why? Boom. And now I have uh, I have thirteen thousand eight hundred eighty six unread messages, and it, it launches and loads immediately. Sure. Everything on here is really Which snappy. Is one of the things, if I remember right, was keeping you at, at Thunderbird to begin with was because finding a mail client that could simply handle the sheer volume of mail that you get yeah. was difficult. Yeah, yeah, it was. And and a Gary was one that I liked, but it needed some work mm-hmm. and it needed things touched up. Mail is going in the right direction, and it's it ties in really nicely with the desktop. I don't know if it if it would move me away from Thunderbird completely. I'm also I'm experimenting around with hosting my own Nalaeus N1 server right now. Wes kind of inspired me to do that. I don't. I don't know if it'd replace that either. But if you just mm-hmm. want a desktop mail client that's quick and simple, it really checks those boxes. And speaking of like, there's been there's sort of been a, a simplicity drawn throughout the calendar. Now it's it's a pretty generic calendar application. But mm-hmm. one of the things they've done that's a little more advanced is it supports natural language events. So you can go in mm-hmm. there and just say, "I have lunch with Noah at 1 p.m." and it will on mm-hmm. Monday. And it will parse that natural language and actually create a meeting event. It also supports uh, CalDev. So if you want to subscribe to like a Google Calendar or sync with an external server, uh, it can do that, which is nice. But the big application that I think has really probably gotten the most attention is the new App Center. And boom, again, you see how freaking fast that launches. The second I click the damn icon, it launches. App Center is both great and rough at the same time. It's early days. It even looks a little, it still looks a little MVP, minimum viable product, right? It, it, mm-hmm. it, it still looks a little rough. But one of the things they got off the gate right away was they've integrated in system updates. So when you need to update any component of your system, you just go here to get the updates. This is going to get, I think, some of the most work over Loki's release and probably into the next release, this will be one of the applications that sees the most changes post-release because it's right now it's just mm-hmm. essentially a repo browser that just is just browsing the Ubuntu package repo. Mm-hmm. There's no curation happening here. There's no facilities for app payment, um, so it's it's sort of basic, but it does give you the ability to search for packages and install them. Which is nice. Which, to be fair, is what people are people are used to that for from the you know the the Android or the iOS App Store anyway, right? Right. Yeah. And so what they're really looking for is to is to find available applications. They type in Firefox, they find Firefox, they install Firefox, right? If it's doing that, it's probably meeting the expectations and needs of ninety percent of the people. And there I am. I'm updating. I'm updating the apps. You know, that's really simple. Mm-hmm. I would expect if I were a betting man down the road, I would mm-hmm. I would not be surprised to see maybe like Snap package support even integrated into this thing. Um, mm-hmm. And I think this is probably a good moment to touch on one of the current negatives of Loki. It's not necessarily new to Loki, um, but it is an issue you could run into for sure if you have a if you have a proprietary graphics, well, if you have a card that you want to use proprietary graphics drivers with. 
So you got mm-hmm. an you got an ATI or I'm sorry, an AMD or an Nvidia GPU and you want to install the drivers. There is no wizard, if you will, to to enable that. Um, they they don't they don't just simply re-implement what Ubuntu has already done. You could probably install it from the repo, but they don't mm-hmm. just simply well, we'll just fill we'll just fill in this hole with this app from Ubuntu. If it doesn't meet the desktop paradigm design UI, they they don't even want it. They don't want it on there. And so Good. end users though are left with no obvious and immediate way to enable something like the proprietary NVIDIA graphics driver. Mm-hmm. If I were a well, betting let's, man, let's be let, let's be fair about it though. If you're a person that is you're switching over from macOS or Windows, and you're and and you're you are you're looking for that that clean desktop experience, and you're not you're not you're not a huge power user because you haven't investigated all the different desktops. You're just you just want to install it once and then use it forever. Yeah, you're probably not the person that's really concerned about. You probably what don't know what a, dri- a GPU driver is. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I don't think that I don't. I think that's probably the the uh, calculus they're making too. But mm-hmm. I'm coming at this from more of an advanced Linux user's perspective who's thinking about possibly finding a refuge distro. And mm-hmm. uh, this is a checkbox for me. Now, I am also the type of person who could go download the damn NVIDIA driver from the website directly myself, run the little script they have, and install it. It's not a, it's not a major not- issue. Yeah. Um, if, though, I were going to make a prediction, I would say in the future, one mm-hmm. of the things that App Center would likely see as an update is... It'll just automatically detect when you have proprietary hardware like Intel Microcode or the uh, NVIDIA graphics driver, and it'll just be listed here in the updates as an option you could install. I would expect that would probably be the way they'll deliver. They won't. Why create a whole separate application to manage that when you've, you've already got one spot that you end users go to install software and enable features? So I would expect the elementary OS project just to keep things consistent would just likely update this App Center app to support that stuff in the future. Mm-hmm. And nothing mm-hmm. says that's necessarily tied to Loki. They could continue to issue updates or to uh, you know to for all of Loki's I mean it's going to be around for years so they could keep updating it for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, I would I would assume who knows how long it'll be around really. But that's App Center. There's not a lot to talk about now. It's it's early days but you get an idea of where they're going. I I could see I could see this going great places. It's not a lot to write home about now. So I ended up, for myself, I still had to go down to the command line, apt install gdebi. So mm-hmm. just so I had a graphical way to install the Debian files that I downloaded because that's my preferred method to install Debs. I know I'm a maniac. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. once I did that, you know, I'm fine. I'm, it's, it's, it's really sufficient. It's also completely possible to use Snap packages in this release of elementary. I installed SnapD, and now I'm, I have been using Telegram for days and days and days as a snap. So a lot of the chats you've I, you and I have had recently have been with me under elementary OS using a Telegram nice. snap. And it's just totally integrates in fine. I still get notifications. It's its own custom notifications, but I still get them. Um, mm-hmm. So that's that's one of, I think, the weak spots potentially right now is if you, if you want a really super easy way to get NVIDIA graphics driver or the Intel microcode stuff, you're going to have to, you're going to have to go old school right now to get that working. But I would probably have faith in the team to set that up. They're pretty consistent mm-hmm. about that kind of stuff. Now, Noah, I did mention mm-hmm. right here. I did mention. I want to give you a chance to jump in too. I'm sort of talking a lot. Sure. You, uh, yeah. You want uh, to so jump I, in? So, so what? Uh, the, I. I I, I am I am I admit right off the bat that I'm a terrible distro reviewer because I load my email client, I load my web browser, I load my terminal app, and I load Telegram, and I'm set. And as far as I'm concerned, if it does those five things, then it's a great distro. And if it doesn't do one of those five sure. things, it's a horrible distro. Sure. But what, but the, the but the thing where Elementary did stand out to me over 
uh, over like stock Ubuntu was I didn't have a lot of the problems that I had with Ubuntu. And, you know, I, I'll give you an example of one that is probably not the end of the world, but it just it kind of starting to drive me nuts now that I notice it. Every time I boot my computer up with the stock Ubuntu, I get a system error has occurred and I have to click cancel. And I've just I've become so complacent. Oh, yes. Yeah. Button. But when uh, when I was trying uh, elementary OS and I'm seriously consider considering and if I had more time, I would have probably done it this weekend, reloading my main laptop with elementary OS and trying to run that for a little bit because I am I've had it with the wireless problem of 1604. And I it was kind of funny to start out that I didn't have uh, the wireless didn't work in 1604 on release day and it worked the day before, but then it didn't the day it came after. And then Ever since then, it's been kind of like an ongoing running joke, and now it's not funny anymore. Like we're we're five six months past when they you know when when we release when they released this OS, and I still have to run a stupid script to fix my wireless card so I have wireless internet. And so having being able to run, and I had a second machine, being able to run that that laptop, I noticed myself pulling that laptop out more simply because if I had to get something done, I knew I could just open it up. It would automatically connect to my hotspot. I could do whatever I was going to do and be done with it. And I think that kind of focus and that kind of attention to detail is the same thing that you and I like about Ubuntu Mate. And 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 yeah. now we have now we have something that is that is is its own not unique so take much- on it an own unique take and has a lot of polish, like a lot of tiny little detail yeah. polish stuff. Yeah. E- even if that means they leave out some of the big features, it'd be great for somebody like your son, or I'm even thinking about on, on my computer because I can, you know, work around those things and my wife's laptop. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess it's funny you just said that because I can work around those things. Elementary OS. And I yeah. think this is why a lot of people grok to fully categorize it correctly in the Linux community. It is, um, I think it is a it is a great distro for people who have never seen a Linux computer in their entire life. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a great distro for really busy, advanced Linux users. And I know those two things seem kind of incongruent, but the reason I say that is it, because if you want to get picky, you're going to have to get fiddly every now and then at the command line to get your graphics sure. drivers, to get snap support, yeah. all of the mm-hmm. stuff down the road, mm-hmm. elementary will just ship out of the box with. Like, these will be items that we can check off in future reviews, but right now... You got to get fiddly. However, if you're a new user, you don't know what any of that stuff is, and it doesn't matter to you. You don't care. Yeah, exactly. No, and I'll tell you what does matter. This is the kind of shit that Linux users don't wrap their dumb heads around. And I don't mean to be blunt about this, but I can't freaking believe it is 2016, and nobody's figured this out except for the elementary OS project. It is literally a crime against Linux users. It's so obvious, and only elementary OS is doing this as far as I know. It's called Granite. And it is an easy button for developers. And it allows developers with very little effort to produce applications that are very consistent and look the same and function the same throughout the elementary OS desktop. And I want to show it to you here for a second because they actually have a demo. And uh, so I'll hit the multitasking button here. And I'll switch over to a desktop that I already have running uh, right here. And you can, you can install Granite and try it yourself. And once you understand what this does, you'll be just as angry as I am that we don't already have this. So Granite gives straightforward, easy-to-use templates for developers when they're creating graphical desktop applications for elementary OS. So as an example, let's say you wanted to throw a storage calculator into your program. They have pre-built a standardized storage calculator that all Loki desktop apps use. So every time you look at how much storage space is available, it's always the same chart. It's the same graphic. It's consistent. And the developer who's creating the application just inherits that. Here's, here's another example. A theme and a time and, a time, I'm sorry, a time and date picker. 
very common field to select a time and date in an application for searches or mails, something that you don't, you generally, every time you create a Linux desktop app, you have to create this crap from whole cloth, and they're just giving it to the developers. And they give mm -hmm. them demos to play around with this stuff. Like, here's an example if you want to create a tabbed application. You just snap this into your application, and you have the same exact tab UI experience that every elementary OS app has. You didn't have to write it. And the thing that this prevents is if each developer had to try to implement mm -hmm. that look on their own, there would be mm -hmm. tiny differences in each application that add up to a yep. desktop of apps that don't quite go together. It doesn't quite fit. It, yep. And There's what, no cohesiveness. Exactly. And by creating the standard, they get to iterate on Granite. When they do an update to Granite, everybody gets the UI updates. All of the applications on the desktop get updated. And I seriously cannot wrap my head around why they are the only distribution who's thought of this. It's a fundamental paradigm to developing on Windows and Mac OS. Fundamental paradigm to developing on those desktops. They have their UI guidelines, they create the widgets and APIs for you, and you as a developer slap it all together, and boom, bada-bing, you have a Mac desktop app that looks like it's native on the Mac. Well, that's exactly what they're doing here, and I seriously think it's brilliant, and it leads to consistent applications, and if you've ever looked at some of the crazy apps that are being created for elementary OS, they have an incredible list of applications. You're like, why are... Elementary OS is great, but it's not that big. Why is everybody deciding to make apps for it? It's this. This makes it possible to get started on making the thing you want and not have mm -hmm. to fiddle with how to do a tabbed UI. <laughs> when I, this right here shows you the deep thinking the project is doing about creating a consistent user experience. And so it's with that that I touch on the next thing that's a little controversial. In this release of Loki, they've dropped their traditional... Midori browser, and they've switched to Epiphany, which is a pretty nice browser, but it's, and it definitely looks really great on this desktop. It really looks like it fits in, and it doesn't take up a lot of room, and it's WebKit-based, and now it's WebKit 2-based, so they've gone through and they've refreshed everything to WebKit 2 in the, US, in the OS, but the fundamental issue is, as I load a Google Doc right here, you get this alert on Google services that says, the version of the browser you are using is no longer supported. Please upgrade to a supported browser. And Google Docs does kind of suck. And a lot of the Google services kind of suck. And mm -hmm. they're the big ones, but now they're not the only ones where if you're not using Firefox or Chrome, you don't have a good time. I wish it wasn't that way, and the elementary OS team says if Google is following web standards, this wouldn't be a problem. So I, this is kind of a ding, though, in my book. It's a web browser that fits in great. It looks great. But if I'm being honest, it's, it's Safari for Linux. Mm -hmm. It's Linux's Safari. And, you know, sometimes it's nice to have an extra slim browser that doesn't take up a lot of memory that you can go to a web browser and a, or to like a, a page in a different account and not have to worry about signing out. It's sometimes nice to have that extra browser. But even to do the show today, even to do the show today, I ended up having to install Chrome in between segments mm -hmm. to just to be able to do the show. So I would kind of say Epiphany, while I like it, I think it's a better choice than Midori. It would be really amazing to see them be able to ship something else. But nothing else will really quite fit the desktop look, and that's pretty key to them. That's pretty important to them. And I think that's part of the reason why I've also had the best high DPI experience. I, I, I believe there is not even a setting. I, I don't know. I haven't checked. But on every distribution I review on this show, one of the reasons I picked up the XPS 13 is because I realized high-resolution screens are real, and Linux mm -hmm. needs to get its support in order. And this was, you know, last year that I got this thing. This was a while ago. Right. Mm -hmm. And at the time, it was uh, it was just when GTK uh, 3 was really getting its high DPI act together. Um, 
And so I've always been interested to try the Plasma Desktop or Mint or every disk we've reviewed recently. On, I always throw it on the high DPI display. Just want to see sure. what's it look like. And sure. every single time, I generally am able to get a pretty damn look, good looking display. After I go in, I enable a high DPI and like GNOME tweak, or I go into Plasma settings and I scale it way up, or you know whatever I, or I go into Cinnamon and I check the high DPI box when I find it because it's kind of buried. You know whatever I do, I generally get a pretty good look. Elementary OS Loki is the only Linux distribution I've installed on a on a on a high DPI display. And it's actually just been high DPI out of the box. I boot off the USB thumb drive. The, the, the live session is high DPI. After I load it, the, the, the installed version is high DPI. I've never checked a box. I've never had to go in and set my resolution. Everything looks gorgeous. There's just a couple of little things, like my mouse cursor is tiny. There's just a couple of little things. But it's the best damn high DPI support I have ever seen on freaking Linux. And I did nothing to turn it on. It's the best and it worked out of the box. That's a huge be you know, benchmark for me. So the, so the high DPI and then going back to the touchpad too seems like it works right. Or, uh, being able to disable tap to click. That's the only distro we've ever used on the Librem that has allowed me to well allowed you to disable the tap to click. So I th and again I think that goes back to making all of these tiny little tweaks to make an out of the box experience really great is going to enable people like me to switch people to Linux. I guess my question is. The next time you go to reload a machine, one that isn't going to be, you know, a, you know, a frequent use or, or, or anything like that, like, uh, you know, not frequent changes, I should say. Like, for instance, the Bonobo that you use, your Skype machine. Is, is this something that you consider putting on there? I'll tell you what's kind of pushing me over the edge a little bit. Um, it, it comes back to this consistent UI. So I... I, I think I could I could kind of illustrate it. I was looking at the desktop and I thought, how do I how do I how do I switch desktops? I mean, there's a there's a button I can click to switch desktops, and so I, I started messing around with like a Control Alt Arrow and Alt Arrow and Control mm -hmm. Arrow, but that mm -hmm. that didn't really do anything. And then I was like, well, I bet it's just I bet it's just the super key, and it was, and it's just the super key, and it does it, uh, and it's. It's been little tiny micro things like that every time where it's just what I expect it to be is how it works. Here's another example. Here's, here's another example. Um, you know, a lot of times distributions, they name things something that I don't know. Like if they call it, do they call it Thunderbird? Do they call it Mail? Do they call it Web? Do they call it Firefox? You never really quite know. In their application launcher, you don't have to know the name of the application. You can search based on the function, on the action that you take in the application. So I can type in SSH, and the first thing that comes up is execute SSH. But because I started typing S, I also get things like screenshot. Or I could, I could do things like www.google.com, mm -hmm. and it will open up Chrome and take it to google.com in the search. So if I, if I don't know what they call their screenshot application, I can just type screenshot. If I don't know what they call their terminal application, I can just type SSH and it launches the terminal. There, so not only can you search based on the name, but you can search, search based on the functionality of the application. And that is, that's not something I knew until I just, I was like, I don't know what they call this, and I just typed it in, and it just found it for me. And I, I like that there are several times where I see something, I'm like, oh, man, they thought of that. They thought of that. That is so nice. Mm -hmm. And that, mm -hmm. and that being able to apply that consistent, that consistency, has made just in the few days. So full disclosure, I got Loki early. We both did. We got it. We got it before release, uh, mm -hmm. uh, about a week before release or so. And so I've had a while to try it. And um, I find myself now when I'm at my upstairs GNOME three desktop, 
kind of wishing I had Loki just because I've learned, like, I, I really like mm-hmm. the way you switch between desktops. I really like the way it all looks. I like, so down here at the bottom of the multitask, so I have my, here's all my different desktop environments, and I can, I could blow through them and see what's on each one, and I've got a few going right now, and I could start a blank mm-hmm. one. But if you look at the very bottom, and it might be cut off on your on your return feed there, Noah, there is mm-hmm. the running applications are here, and I can close them here, or I can just jump to the desktop that has these, and this is in the multiple desktop overview. So I can mm-hmm. I can go right to the Chrome desktop by clicking on Chrome, or I can go right to my calendar desktop, and I don't have to, it, it's, it's an even easier version of the GNOME virtual desktop approach, and it looks even slicker, and the implementation is super solid. I've, I've been able to, I've, I have, Dragging applications between desktops works better than on any multi-desktop environment I've used before. Uh, the way I can assign it, all of it is so nice. It's all keyboard controlled too, which you wouldn't know of at first, but there's keyboard commands to do all of it. Um, the real question you're asking me is, can I live with Ubuntu? And I, I think I could on like on on uh, I think this machine, the production machines here would be really great for this because it's elegant, mm-hmm. it's nice, it's simple, it's it's mm-hmm. consistent. Mm-hmm. But there's still a part of me that loves to play with fresh software. So either Snaps has got to take off like a son of a bitch, or I still got to have an Arch machine around to play with the latest and greatest okay, open so, source stuff. So here's here's a, here's a here's a dovetail question then. A lot of people would argue that one of the big advantages in the the GNOME desktop environment or the KDE desktop environment or even Mate now is that once you learn that desktop environment and you become comfortable with it, you can swap that base out as much as you want. You can go to Arch, you can go to Ubuntu, you can go whatever. whatever. And the way that you interact with the, uh, the operating system is absolutely identical. It just because the underlying base changes out. So does that affect your ability to want to really dig in and learn all of the key commands and nuances of elementary OS when it's basically a desktop for a singular operating system and it, and it doesn't really translate to any other distro? Does that affect your opinion at all? Yeah, that is a that is a tough call. That is a tough call. Um I think I think again it comes it comes down to the task. It definitely if I wasn't I think if I was uh if I was in a work environment or I was still in IT consulting, I think this would be a lot easier of a question. I think simply because mm-hmm. of the job that I do, it's particularly hard for me. But even now, like I'm th- I think the two machines I have it on, I'm going to leave it on. This this will probably eventually get reloaded just for testing. But uh-huh. uh, you know, I I don't talk about the Librem 15 a lot these days. But man, this all metal computer with with elementary OS on it, it looks it looks good, Noah. It looks like it's meant to be. Yeah. And it's a real nice experience. And this, for some reason, and I, I don't know if it's, it, maybe it's, maybe it's, maybe it's because I'm using an Intel video driver. I'm not sure why, but this thing wakes and goes to sleep as fast as I open the lid up. It's awake, and um, soon as I close it, it's asleep. And wow. And the wireless connects super fast. And the nice thing is that it works with the notification system, so I can see the second that the wireless has been reactivated, and so I, I open the lid, and, and so I, and it's really, the process goes like this. I open the lid, and by the time I've sat down and have my hand on the mouse, it's reconnected to the internet, and everything's ready to go, and it's sure. instantly on. And I, I don't know how they could have possibly tweaked that from stock Ubuntu, and it, maybe it's just their desktop environment and the Intel driver working together to make it fast, mm-hmm. but damn. And you know, just ha- after having the Wi-Fi issues I had with Ubuntu, I really wanted to make 1604 my refuge distro because I I do have computers that I legitimately don't get around to updating for three mm-hmm. four months at a time, and a, and a distro like Elementary OS where I wanted to be rock solid and consistent, but I don't want to have to manage it. Man, I just I really think I think this is it for me because I think it is. It's 
It feels like its own unique product. It feels like something different. They release it in a way nobody else does, and they, it's even fun. They build hype. They had a keynote to announce the releasement release. They talked about the, the open source jobs they're creating. I mean, they've got a good message with it all. They're doing something here nobody else in the Linux desktop space is doing. And it's not even it doesn't it's not even for everybody, but it's absolutely for a certain type of user. And I think it's great that somebody out there is trying it. And Loki to me now seems like I guess if I'm being really honest with you, mm -hmm. Loki's the release I never thought we'd get. I thought by now they would have bitten off too much than they could chew, that they would have just been panned as another Ubuntu derivative. And they probably eventually would have faded out. I thought this you know, a long time ago. I haven't thought about it recently. Sure. But yeah. what Loki is, it's the opposite of all of that. It is a team that now has full-time staff, not a lot, but a mm -hmm. few of them. It is, mm -hmm. They have an open bug bounty tracking system where their own users can go and say, this is a feature or an issue that's important to me, and I'll put money behind it. And for a distribution that, uh, you know, has a lot of projects under its belt. It's nice for uh, for the for people passionate about it to be able to go fund those things. They they seem to be using that well. I think Loki is the accumulation of a lot of what they've been working on for a long time. It is mm -hmm. one of the most polished Linux distributions. Period. Not to mention one of their best releases. There are some outstanding issues. There are some things they haven't added yet. But when the things are missing, it's generally there's a good reason behind it. And having worked with the team last, over the last week, I can tell you they are very detail-oriented. They, mm -hmm. they notice the small little things that I notice that nobody else ever points out, and they noticed them. And that was pretty that, – that's, that's a high benchmark that I set. It's small things that they really mm -hmm. fret about and the big things too, and they – I think they've really got something here with the Loki release because it's all of that effort and intention and work they've been doing, and it's all kind of landed in Loki. Some of it's new, like it's the first release of Mail. It's the first time they switched the web browser. It's the first release of the App Center. But all of it sets the foundation for some really great stuff that they can keep building on with the existing release. So I, I, there are a few teams out there. Like I, I have a lot of respect for the Solus team. I have a lot of respect for the Ubuntu Mate team and the, uh, the Antigros folks uh, all doing a lot of – there's a lot of others who are doing a lot of good work right now. But those are just a few off the top of my head that kind of also really feel like they're their own product, their own unique Linux take. Um, mm -hmm. And I think – when it comes to a unique desktop experience that's consistent and fast, how can you not want that? You just have to be willing to fiddle with a few things if you're a more technical user. And if you keep in mind that their main goal is Windows and Mac users, a lot of these decisions make a lot of sense. So sure. I, I'm pretty pretty freaking Would you, impressed. Let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. If, if tomorrow Hadia comes up to you and says, hey, I want to replace this computer in my office, would you consider putting elementary OS on it? Well, I'd show her the two and let her make her call, but I would suspect that she okay, would... Okay, fine. Okay, fine. That, she's actually a, a poor example. If, if, I'm trying to think. Somebody that doesn't have, that doesn't have you know, the, um, the ability to evaluate things. Like, I'll tell you like what my decision would be. But, if they're coming from a Mac, absolutely. Um, okay. And if they're coming from Windows, mm -hmm. if they are willing to learn a better way to compute, I would probably mm -hmm. give them elementary OS. But if they are pretty set on a traditional desktop paradigm... 
And so if they're going to mm-hmm. go that route, I would want to give them the best traditional desktop paradigm that's still moving forward. And that would be Ubuntu Mate. So that'd be the two tracks sure. I'd take. That's my gotcha. decision okay. tree. Perfect. Good. I think. And cool. I, 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 I challenge both of you and I to leave it on a machine for a little while. And I think you specifically, I, I would really like to hear you work with it for a while and come back and tell me what you think because – I think it'd make a good work at, at machine. This, at this point, my plan is to when I I, I have to take some time to ba- I, I have to I'm I, I've run out of hard drive space in my my laptop, so I'm I have to put in a new hard drive, and it's here. I just haven't had time to put it in. But when I put the new hard drive in, I will I will I will be going to some other operating system, anything but Ubuntu sixteen oh four stock. Uh, so I have wireless, and uh, because wireless doesn't work in sixteen oh four, and and I'm strongly considering. In fact, I've I kind of decided last week. I think. It's going. I think I'm going to try elementary and see if that doesn't just become my de facto distro. Especially with you, you like you like the the smaller, more compact, portable laptops. I think yep. this is a great distro for that. I think for something like an Oryx class rig, I would start to reevaluate, maybe go consider a different distro. I think sure. the answer for me, I would suspect, will be I'll keep an elementary OS rig around as sort of like my 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 machine I take between home and work possibly mm-hmm. that I just want to flip open do some work and close really quick mm-hmm. that'll probably be elementary OS and then my workstation here is probably going to stay arch so I can mess around with the different software and stuff but sure there's not a lot of reviews we come away from where I'm like I'm going to integrate this into my daily workflow that does that does not happen very wow. often and I yeah. I will tell you full disclosure too here I never thought it was going to be elementary OS because I kind of came out with a bias a little bit of, you know, this is for beginners. And it absolutely is. But if you, it's really for people who just want a consistent um, workflow that is predictable. If you want a predictable, consistent workflow where it, you, you sometimes get delighted by some of the things you, can, you see they thought of, elementary OS Loki is the perfect desktop. And I don't think that just applies to new users. I think that applies to advanced users, too. So sure. I'd say check it out. That is the Linux Action Show's look at Loki. And that brings us to the end of this week's show. But before we get to your emails, I want to thank System76, creators of machines born to run Linux. They got a bunch of great systems, desktop, laptops, and servers. But I can't stop talking about those laptops. They got the new GTX 10 series now in two different models. Oh, man, that Oryx Pro is looking better than ever, and I won't lie, I configure one just about every darn day. There's a lot of great systems, starting with the Lumur at 14 inches all the way up to the Oryx Pro. But, you know, one of the things I think System76 doesn't get enough attention for is their absolutely killer desktops. From the Meerkat, a tiny machine, the Sable, an all-in-one, the Rattel Pro, the sneaky performer with upgradable graphics, down to the Silverback workstation. Oh, man. Check it out at system76.com. Go there, pick up a machine, and tell them the Linux Action Show sent you. And, you know, tell them Linux, Noah switched you to, God, I keep calling him Linux. <laughs> tell them that Noah switched you to Linux. You know, that guy. Tell them Noah switched you. Maybe you'll get something nice. But really, really what it's all about is getting a machine that's built to run Linux. Even if you don't stick with Ubuntu, I can tell you from my personal experience of being a System76 customer for over 10 years now, any distro you want is going to work great. But the support and the product around Ubuntu is great too. Check it all out at system76.com. Thanks to System76 for sponsoring this segment of the Linux Action Show. Also, I want to give a big thank you to uh, Mr. Michael Tunnell, a.k.a. Rotten Corpse, producer of the Linux Action Show, who created some... Sick graphics for our elementary OS special uh, redress, if you will. 
of the uh, of the last set, and I think it turned out really good and uh, fit the color theme that they have really nicely. And he banged it out for us real quick. So it was thank you to him for making that possible. At Michael Tunnell, if you want to follow him on the Twitter, not Mitch, not Mitch, not not Mitchell Tunnel. No. <laughs> now let's talk about high DPI. That's what uh, Gordon wrote in. He said uh, today I bought a brand new twenty eight inch Samsung ultra high definition monitor so I could enjoy glorious four K resolution in my Linux Mint desktop. When I turned on the monitor, I was caught by surprise. The image was beautiful and everything was sharp and super, super tiny at the same time. Searching through Linux Mint and the NVIDIA settings, I couldn't find any high DPI options. So, uh, I, so, I, so I can scale up my desktop to have more enjoyable environment. Inter- internet searches later, I came back with results that high DPI in Linux is still not a standard feature. With the amount of 4K displays on the market, I wonder, is there any Linux distro that offers high DPI scaling, or am I out of options? Thanks, Gordon. Um, well, we just talked about elementary OS. That'd be an obvious one to go to. But really, anything that's, I think, GTK 3.12 or newer supports high DPI. You just got to find where to turn it on um, and in the uh, GNOME tweak settings. And the Plasma desktop, since like Plasma 5-something has had it as well, you just have to, they, they, they call it desktop scaling, and you just crank it way up, and sometimes you got to go screw with your fonts a little bit, and you might have to change your icon theme, and it's not yeah, as you simple. use Firefox, you got to go into about.config and that's change true. that up to two. That's true, that's true. Uh, Chrome does have high DPI support, and Chromium, I believe, have high DPI support out of the box. So elementary OS is going to be your most straightforward method, but any GNOME desktop or Unity desktop, Anything that uses GTK has already got high DPI support. So you're pretty much good to go. You just have to dig around. The problem with Mint is they're, on the Cinnamon side, they have their own implementation. you got to go find it. you got to have the absolute latest version. of you got to have Mint 18 to get that shenanigans. So uh, you want to take Dave? Yeah, Dave uh, Dave W or Dave M writes in and he says, "I often hear Chris mention anecdotes of listeners getting hired into Linux jobs, and I'd like to hire some of them. Since there's no official forum aside from Reddit, and I'm not keen on the idea of posting jobs on Reddit, what would you recommend as a way for me to reach out to JB listeners in the New England area or who would be willing to move here that might be lo- looking for a Linux centric?" tech job. So uh, thanks a lot for offering this to our audience. And uh, so if you have an interest in a job in the New England area, or if you'd be willing to relocate, get in contact with us. You can use the contact form and we will forward your contact information oh on to Dave. And uh, well, I, I will forward, I'm not signing you up for this, but I will forward your contact information on to Dave and uh, and then he can reach out to you. But uh, And thank you all to all the people that reached out to me last week. Um, I got, I, I got We got a number of different responses and we're formulating a and, and structuring that stuff, and you'll be hearing from us soon. But if again, if you missed it, if you're in the central Wisconsin area and you are looking for some part-time work, uh, we are looking to hire uh, a couple guys in the central Wisconsin area. So you can head over to altaspeed.com and use our contact form and let us know and we'll get in contact with you. But thank you for everyone that reached out. We appreciate it. We'll be in contact with you in a little bit. You know, I've thought for a while, it'd be really great if there was like an open source software package we could implement at Jupiter Broadcasting that would kind of be like a job board for the community. Oh, yeah. The one yeah. we could also throw a few JB jobs at and be like, hey, you want to sure. develop this for us? Here's like, we'll, we'll give you a yeah. hundred bucks or something. Like kind of like our mm-hmm. own bounty source we could roll, but people could actually use it to get work because mm-hmm. the, I one of the things that you hear a lot from people like uh, Dave who wrote in is um, mm-hmm. there's a pretty damn good chance that if you're listening to this show, you, you might be employable somewhere where people would be interested in hiring exactly. you. So exactly, people are listening to this show and going, gosh, I'd like to hire some of that audience. And that's a pretty cool mm-hmm. thing, but we just don't really have a real 
I don't know. Like we don't have a real sustainable way well, to implement like yeah, a yeah, connection that's not, not going to get spammed. Or, well, and, and the other side of it too is like we don't have the time. No, we can't. No, it have to be a moderator. It have to be like a website that is like a. There must be an open source job boards program, right? That's easy to yeah. implement. No, I don't sure know. Throw is. it up yeah. on a droplet. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. There might be something there because holy shit, would it be awesome if we could help people get some work? Wouldn't that be great? Sure. Hell, yeah. and if yeah. this podcasting thing doesn't work out, maybe we'll just go get some jobs. And yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. If you'd like to send us in some feedback, over to jupiterbroadcasting.com/slash/contact and choose Linux Action Show from the drop down. Then once you put your email in there, hit submit, and the robots will automatically deliver it. Don't forget, you can watch us live. We won't be live next week. We're going to pre-record next week so I can go on a road trip, but. Generally, if you go to jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar, you'll get, the, you'll get it converted to your local time. And then you just watch it at jblive.tv. So while no live Linux action show next Sunday, you will get a regular release. So if you're subscribed to the RSS feeds, you'll just get it like normal all the time, maybe even a little bit earlier. So I look forward to that. Also, if you want to submit some content or some open source projects we should check out or a desktop app pick or give us feedback. LinuxActionShow.reddit.com is the place to go. He's at Kernel Linux. Also check him out at Altaspeed. That's the company's Twitter account. Actually tweeting more now. I'm at Chris LAS, and we'll see you right back here next week. Noah, go get me some barbecue. Uh, no problem. Uh, we'll run down to Tennessee, and uh, I know a great spot. And then we should really do, we should, that's what we should do. Yeah. Dude, anytime... Listen, and I mean this with all sincerity. Anytime you want to go to Nashville, you let me know, and I will be there. Live show from heaven Nashville. And earth. I, what? We should do I a will live move blast. heaven and earth to get to Nashville. Like <laughs> any day of the week It's one of my favorite places I've ever been. Huh? Never been. Yep. I should go. They have the hot chicken is amazing. Like I basically live at at Prince's Hot Chicken anytime I'm in Nashville. Oh, and now you're talking have, my language. And and there's and there's barbecue and I mean barbecue, real barbecue, like every ten blocks you can find another barbecue joint and it's good, like oh my I can't even talk about it anymore. I'll get mad if I talk about it because I'll just I'll start missing. So we barbecue. gotta we gotta go soon. That's what you're saying. Chicken. Yeah. We should do like in the middle of the middle of winter. Oh yeah, you know what I got right here? Hmm. Yeah, I got that high DPI. I got your high DPI. I got elementary olds with high DPI, good, everybody. Good, good. Why, you, why do you start on the... Like, what is that white thing? I assume that's your desktop? That's my screen. I was just checking my screenshot. Yeah, because I'm going to run the Linux Academy video. Oh. This also makes it easier oh. for Rekai because it's a big white frame in the video preview uh, cell that makes it easier yeah. to see where to... Except when you like do it a couple times, then it's probably not so helpful. It's still good, though, because he, he knows that that wouldn't be in the main show. You see, it's still good. Yeah. That, that would be like really weird if that was in the show right now. That'd be weird. Be really weird. <laughs>